0: Life is full of mystery, uh, to be sure, just thinking in terms of the realm of physics, is water? Is water a liquid, a solid, or a gas? Well, it depends. Uh, Pushing on in other realms of physics, light, light, does it travel as a wave or travel as particles? Well, it, it depends. Moving from physics to the realm of theology, is God one or is He three? Is God one or is He three? Jesus, His uh, personhood, is He God or is He man? Is He God or is He man? Life is full of mystery. Physics, theology, parenting, life is full of mystery. going we'll to talk about sovereign election this morning. tipped uh, tip uh, in that direction earlier. As we were beginning, and you may have picked up on some of the theme and the readings and the songs, sovereign election, that is to say, God's having chosen us before the beginning of time such that we, in time, would choose Him, His sovereign election. Now, that is hard to grasp, and there's been a disagreement or two about it through the centuries, but it is well worth our thinking through and wrestling if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, mid-first century. Uh, he, uh, it's a beautiful, soaring letter, um, so much here. If you're trying to find out, that's New Testaments, one of Paul's letters, again, it's after the Gospels and after Acts and after Romans and after the Corinthian letters and after Galatians, Ephesians. Um, Romans and then the Corinthian letters, Galatians and then Ephesians. Ephesians 1, we're going to be reading verses 3 through 14. Uh, Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14. Hear now the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. This is a treasure house. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for putting this this down through the Apostle Paul. As we oftentimes say, and rightly so, uh, there is nothing here more or less than what you wanted to be written. And so, we stand upon it uh, as trustworthy and true and under it as having come from none other than the sovereign Lord. This is the Word of God. And we ask that you would give us those made in your image According to your likeness, ears with which to hear your word. You have brought us here. You do nothing haphazardly, nothing accidentally, nothing randomly. There's a point to everything you do. And we're here. You've brought us here. And here's the text on this Reformation Sunday. And we ask that you would bring all these tangled, seemingly untied tethers together and help us to see the glory of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. As I said earlier, this is the 400th anniversary of the Synod of Dort. Uh, That's why we're pressing in on that in particular, this Reformation Sunday. You may be wondering, well... Why though? So what? It's the the 400th anniversary of a whole lot of things. It's the 200th anniversary probably of a whole lot of things. Why why bring this to mind? Why give any attention to the Synod of Dort? Well, the Synod of Dort, a synod in in this case, 1619, there in the city of Dort, a port city there in Holland, was an assembly of pastors and professors and theologians and civic leaders as well And from that synod, we get what we now refer to as the canons of Dort. That's C-A-N-O-N, not artillery. That's a rule, a a standard by which uh, has been given the canons of Dort, from which for years we have traced the origin back and saying, that's where the five points of Calvinism came from. TULIP, you may have heard of it. Uh, It's a flower. It's also an acronym. T-U-L-I-P, total depravity. Uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Tulip. Uh, We're going to be boring down, honing in on one of those. One for time's sake, there's no way you can do all five in one sermon. That's crazy talk. Uh, Another is um, the U, which is where we're going, unconditional or sovereign election, was actually the linchpin. It was the impetus for the whole discussion, the whole debate, all the disagreements from which The Synod of Dort, the Canon of Dort came. What is election? What does it mean? In our own parlance, in our own verbiage, we know something of what an election is. It means you choose something. You select something or or someone. Well, that's right. But here we're talking about something in a different context. There in your quotes and notes, you can see a quotation from the Synod of Dort. This is um, uh, Heading 1, Section 7. Heading 1, Section 7. Uh, It is, again, there in your your quotes and notes, I'm going to read to you just a little bit of that. "'Election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby before the foundation of the world He hath out of mere grace, according to the sovereign good pleasure of His own will, chosen from the whole human race, which had fallen through their own fault from their primitive state of rectitude into sin and destruction, a certain number of persons to redemption in Christ, whom He from eternity appointed the mediator and head of the elect.' and the foundation of salvation. That's a mouthful. It's it's a pretty comprehensive definition, and you can hear the attention to specifics and detail all throughout, which brings us to our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. In the original Greek, believe it or not, that is one sentence. Parse that one. Uh, It is one sentence in the original Greek, verses 3 to 14. We're only going to look at one clause of that one sentence, verses 4 to 6. Verses 4 to 6 is where we're going to be camping out together here. And what we see is that what becomes clear as we look at verses 4 through 6 is that the doctrine of election is a strange and beautiful thing. By that I mean this. It is strange in the sense that in many ways it is so foreign to us, unknown otherwise if it was not revealed. Beautiful in the sense of its effects and its implications in our lives. The doctrine of election is a strange and beautiful thing, and we need to understand it. We need to understand it. And as that understanding begins to dawn, as we look here at Ephesians 1, what well, we see <coughs> excuse me, are three things there in your outline. And the, the first is this. It is none other, the doctrine of election is none other than a revelation from heaven. That's the first point. The second thing, it is an an incentive to holiness. And the third thing, it is is a stimulus to humility. Those three things, it is a revelation from heaven, it is an incentive to holiness, and it is a stimulus to humility. Well, let's look at this together. First, it is a revelation from heaven. It is not an invention, some wild-haired idea from a man or any man or any woman or any congregation or gathering thereof. Look at what Paul says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Again, this is not of man. It has been much taught through the ages by men, to be sure, starting in the first century. We have writings not just from the Apostle Paul, but Clement of Rome, Moving into the second century, men such as Ignatius and Justin Martyr, and Polycarp and Arrhenius and Cyprian, the third century. We also see this from Ambrose and Augustine, third, fourth century, pushing forward a few centuries. Luther, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, and a whole lot others in our day now. Um, it has been much taught through the years. Sadly, it's been much abused and mishandled through the years as well. Some who find themselves on the other end of an accusation being called hyper calvinists because they don't know what to do with such writings. And frankly, they, I would think I would refer to them as loveless reformers. They just don't understand uh, what this is really meant to be about. This is not of man. This is a revelation of heaven. It is not an invention of any human being, and it's explained very clearly. Here in the canons of of Dort, Um, you can see that in in another section there that I have copied for you in the quotes, and those just for time's sake. I'll let you take a look at that as as it's unpacked. But more importantly, more importantly than it being explained in the canons of Dort, it is all through the Scriptures, this idea of God's sovereign election, His choosing those who therein in time will choose Him, and doing that from before eternity past, keep your thumb in Ephesians 1. Go back a few books to the book of Acts. We're going to hit four different passages here. And this is just a sampling, just a sampling of places we could go. But I want you to see that this is a, not just, you know, something, some weird thing that shows up in Ephesians 1, but it's all over the place. Acts 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Did you catch that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, now here's where you got to go, go back to Ephesians and head to the right a few books in that string of letters that begin with the letter T, Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Moving on a few books to the right, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 and 9, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Or, if you like, now going back to Ephesians and heading to the left again, sorry to do the ping-pong on you, but I wanted to save this beautiful one, most beautiful one for last, Romans 8, Romans 8 verses 29 through 30. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. What's the point? The point is election is a revelation from heaven. It is not an invention of man, period. Stick the landing. What do you do with that? Well, maybe it's appropriate at this point to read a story. When Christian Herter was the governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. One day, after a busy morning chasing votes and no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue, not unlike what we're going to be doing down the hall in a little while. It was late afternoon, and Herter was famished. As Herter moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herter said, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said again, only one to a customer. Governor Herder was a modest and unassuming man, but he decided that this was the time he would throw his weight around. Do You know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. Do you know who I am, the woman said? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. There are times you need to recognize authority and submit to it. And here we have none other than the teaching of the Word of God that needs to be recognized and submitted to. You may be wrestling with the idea of the doctrine of election this morning. It may really hit you raw and awfully. The first questions that you should be asking are not, do I understand it or do I like it? The first question that you need to be asking is, does the Bible teach it? And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you are His disciple, it is incumbent upon you, it is required upon you to receive it as written and then wrestle with it from there. And here's what will happen as you receive it as written. I promise you in time, this is what will happen. As a disciple of Jesus, Jesus will, in time, help you to understand and appreciate it, and you will begin to embrace it and even rejoice in it as a disciple of Jesus. Again, as I said, the doctrine of election is a strange and beautiful thing. You need to understand it. And that takes us to the second point. It is also an incentive to holiness. Now, this is important to recognize, especially as you consider one of the spurious charges that is oftentimes lodged against those who would say this is what the Bible says. Some would say if you buy into this, if you believe that before the beginning of time God chose a people for himself and therein in time they choose him, if you buy into that, that's going to encourage license. It's going to encourage laxity. It's going to encourage spiritual laziness if you believe all that stuff. Well, not if you understand it rightly. Not if you understand it rightly. Again, what does Paul say? Verse 4 Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You were chosen to be holy, to be blameless. There is absolutely no room whatsoever in the doctrine of sovereign election, rightly understood, for presumption no room whatsoever. For starters, that totally ignores the relational context, the relational element in all of this. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian means that at some point in your life, you have looked into the face and seen your bondage to sin, the guilt and shame that is yours before a holy God, and you've cried out to him that he would free you and forgive you, and for you just to turn away from that and live how you please? Come on, man. It's theological. Paul Paul said that. But seriously, that completely belies the claim to be a follower of Jesus. If you believe he's done that for you and then you live that way, It utterly ignores the relational context of all of this. But even more so, it ignores, utterly so, the biblical teaching here. God chose you for holiness, to be like Jesus. That's His intent. That's why you've been chosen. That's the point of eternal sovereign election. The uh, synod spoke on this. I don't think this one's quoted, actually, in your... Quotes and notes. I add this one later. Uh, let me read this to you, though, and you get a sense of this. The sense and certainty of this election afford to the children of God additional matter for daily humiliation before Him, for adoring the depth of His mercies, for cleansing themselves, and rendering grateful returns of ardent love to Him who first manifested so great a love towards them. The consideration of this doctrine of election is so far from encouraging remissness in the observance of the divine commands or from sinking men in carnal security, that these, in the just judgment of God, are the usual effects of rash presumption or of idle and wanton trifling with the grace of election and those who refuse to walk in the ways of the elect." Hear what they're saying, you don't do that. You don't do that. The doctrine of sovereign election leaves no room whatsoever for presumption, but... It is the grounds and fuel for the deepest heart's assurance. The deepest heart's assurance. Paul is not laying, when he says that we have been chosen to be holy, he is not putting out there this mere possibility of growing in Christ's likeness. This maybe like an enticing offer. Take it and then you'll be yours. If you work hard enough at it, like, you know, some great deal at a gym. This too. These abs can be yours, spiritually speaking, if you work at it. That's not the offer that's being put. It's an assurance. It's not the possibility of holiness. It's the realization of holiness. That's what Paul is speaking of here. To be, You have been chosen to be holy. Those things cannot be disentangled. They are inextricably bound together. The one who has been chosen, the, the elect... Sovereign election means means you will become more like Jesus because, dang it, that's what He's decided to do with you. Deal with it. There you go. I think Paul said that too. Election again—it's an incentive to holiness. In no way is it some. It ought to be understood as cause for presumption. There. Can I put it this way? There's an inevitability to it. You might say. There's an inevitability. Now, granted, granted, don't hear me wrong. We have to do daily with the war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it is a war. It is a battle. But pull back. That's the micro level. Take the macro level now and look out. And what you'll see is you're swimming with the current, if I can mix the metaphors. You're swimming with the current. There's an inevitability to it. Well, does that not encourage you with every stroke you take? knowing you're going to get there by God's grace and only by His grace. Are you going to get there because He's chosen you before the beginning of time to be like Jesus, to become more and more like Him? Sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness, this holiness that we're talking about. Oftentimes, I recognize, it's certainly the case for me, the graph of done on a line looks like this right? Up and down and up and down, and I'm sick of this, and I'm sick of me. But you know what else if you do? If you take the median of those peaks and troughs, you know what you see? A line that goes like this. You're getting better, and you're too close to it to see it. You're getting better. You're becoming more, by His grace, becoming more like Jesus. Here's why you can't see it sometimes. Because part of growing in Christ's likeness is growing in humility and in conviction about your sin. When you first became a Christian, you had no idea what a wretch you were and how much work lay in front of you. You thought you were a pretty good gal, pretty good guy. You thought you were doing Jesus a favor by joining His team. And over time, you realize, oh my Lord, what a wretch am I. And that's part of growing in Christ's likeness, is growing in how much you need Christ. You are getting better, but sometimes it, you just feel worse. You are getting better, but sometimes, dang it, you just feel worse. By His grace, because you've been chosen, we're going to get there. Again, election is a strange and beautiful thing. We need to understand it. It takes us to the last point. It's not just a revelation from heaven. It's not just an incentive to holiness. It's also a stimulus to humility. Uh, Again, and this is important to recognize given the charge, the spurious charge that can be made regarding, you know, if you hold this position, if you hold this doctrine of sovereign election, some will say, look, if, if that's what you think, if you think you're the, among the chosen ones, if you think you're so dang special, well, I mean, isn't that going to make you arrogant? Isn't that going to just fill you with with pride? Again, not rightly understood. It's a caricature. It's a cartoon. It's a straw man. Ephesians, back to Ephesians, the text, the very end of verse 4, going on through verse 6, "...in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved." There's no grounds for pride here, none whatsoever. Why are you a Christian, O Christian? Why have you been chosen? How could that be? It has nothing to do with merit. The, the rationale, the reasons have nothing to do with you. Absolutely, It's, it's despite everything that you could find in you or in me. And as though it wasn't plain in what we just read, it becomes explicit in chapter 2. If you just want to turn a page. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith." And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Well, apparently, if you rightly understand this, boasting is ruled out. Utterly, completely ruled out. And as you look back to Ephesians 1 and verses 4 through 6, what do you see? Paul's tripping over himself to make it clear. This is all due to God's grace, God's love, God's plan. God's intention, God's purpose. Who is it all due to? Him. With not a scintilla of it having to do with us. Not one bit. So there's no grounds whatsoever for pride, but every cause for wonder. Every cause for wonder. Chosen in Him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, in eternity past, before you were. Think about that, right? You're like, well, there was nothing before I was, right? (laughs) Before you or anything else was. You were chosen in Christ. You were chosen in Christ. So that's when and how. And for what? For His glory, for the praise of His glorious grace, as he says there towards the end of the passage. Which is, by the way, why God does everything. For the praise of His glory. He's just specifically speaking of it here. Election is a stimulus for humility. There's no grounds whatsoever here for pride or for boasting. George Whitfield, I mentioned him as one of the teachers of this uh, George Whitefield and John Wesley were two preachers back during the First Great Awakening, 17th century, uh, excuse me, 1700s, 18th century. And uh, Whitefield was more in the canon of dork camp, uh, in the Reformed theology camp, emphasis on God and His grace. Uh, John Wesley was much more in the camp of of man and his responsibility and his role in the process. And over the course of the decades that these these men rubbed up against one another, they rubbed one another wrong. And they didn't think a whole lot of one another at certain periods of their lives. And um, sadly, uh, that created camps, if you will, followers of Whitfield and followers of, of Wesley. Now, thank God that over time the gospel did its work in the lives of these two men. But later on, again, because people knew some of the things Wesley had said about Whitfield and Whitley had said about Wesley, one of Whitfield's followers asked him a question. And the question was this. Do you think we're going to see Wesley in heaven? This is what George Whitfield said. I fear not. He will be so near the throne, and we shall be at such a distance that we shall hardly get a sight of him. My friends, that's, humi- that's election stimulating humility. It's doing its work, rightly understood. That's election-stimulating humility. Friends, Christians should be the most humble people of all, most especially those who hold to and understand what the Bible is teaching regarding sovereign election. We should be the most humble people of all. We should be secure and steady, more so than anybody. We should be more confident and courageous than anybody more broken more humble more gentle because we recognize that this has nothing our, our hope has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him 100 percent to do with him Election is a strange and beautiful thing oh that we would understand it I was talking about this uh, story a few days ago. Um, I wrongly attributed it to Charles Spurgeon. It's actually Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great uh, Bible teacher from the 20th century. Um, Barnhouse, in explaining this concept of election, encouraged people to imagine a cross. Now, This cross is so huge that it has a door in it. And upon that door are these words from the book of Revelation, whoever so will may come. Those words represent the free and universal offer of the gospel. By God's grace, the message of salvation is for everyone. Every man, woman, and child who will come to the cross is invited to believe in Jesus and enter. And what's interesting is that from the other side, once you walk in through that door, there's a happy surprise. You turn around and you look at what's written on the other side of the door. These words from Ephesians, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Same door. It's a matter of perspective and how it's viewed and where you stand. Election is best understood in hindsight. Election is best understood in hindsight. It's only after coming to Christ. That you can know whether or not you've been chosen in Christ. Because if you've come to Christ, guess what? You've been chosen in Christ. Those who make a decision for Christ will inevitably find that God made a decision for them long ago. Now, why is this important to talk about? Again, let me put this question to you Why is anyone a Christian? Or if I may be more pointed, if you are a Christian this morning, if you are a disciple of, of Christ this morning, why? Why are you a Christian? A fundamental part of the answer is that God chose you, not just a mass of people, but you before the foundation of the world. Now, why is he telling you that? Why do you need to know that? Take this in the context of a father's love for his children. He wants them to be assured of the security of his love. Lest we come to doubt that when failures mount or dreams crash or friends fail, his word to us is, you're mine. You always have been and you always will be mine. You always have been, and you always will be mine. That's good news.